Welcome to the Bristol-Myers Squibb Immuno-Oncology Podcast, a podcast dedicated to keeping listeners updated on current Bristol-Myers Squibb findings in the immuno-oncology treatment space. Today's program is intended for U.S. healthcare professionals only. I'm Viviana Del Tejo, a U.S. Medical Director with Bristol-Myers Squibb, and I'm joined today by our esteemed guest, Dr. Shilpa Gupta, a genitourinary oncologist from the Cleveland Clinic in Ohio. Please note, that Dr. Gupta is a consultant for Bristol-Myers Squibb and was compensated for her role in this podcast. Thank you again for joining us today, Dr. Gupta. Before we dive into the data, can you please tell us a bit more about your background and practice? Of course. Thanks for having me, Viviana. I'm a genitourinary medical oncologist and the director for the genitourinary oncology program at the Cleveland Clinic Toxic Cancer Institute. I see a lot of patients with uh, urothelial cancer in my clinic, and I've led several investigated initiated trials focusing on urothelial cancer. In fact, I'm leading uh, an NCI-led phase three trial with maintenance immunotherapy intensification in uh, urothelial cancer, and also have several leadership roles for uh, cooperative group trials in bladder cancer. Thank you, Dr. Gupta. For our listeners today, we will be discussing immuno-oncology, or IO, therapy with the program Death Receptor 1, or PD-1 blocking antibody Opdivo, or nivolumab, in the adjuvant treatment of muscle-invasive urothelial carcinoma, as well as the recently published data from the Checkmate 274 study. Opdivo as a single agent is approved for use as the adjuvant treatment of adult patients with urothelial carcinoma who are at high risk of recurrence after undergoing radical resection of urothelial carcinoma based upon findings from the pivotal Checkmate 274 study, which we will be discussing today. Before we discuss the data from this trial, I want to mention that Opdivo, or nivolumab, is associated with the following warnings and precautions, severe and fatal immune-mediated adverse reactions, infusion-related reactions, complications of allogeneic and hematopoietic stem cell transplantation, embryo-fetal toxicity, and increased mortality in the patients with multiple myeloma when Opdivo is added to a thalidomide analog and dexamethasone. Immune-mediated adverse reactions, which may be severe or fatal, can occur in any organ system or tissue, including the following, immune-mediated pneumonitis, immune-mediated colitis, immune-mediated hepatitis and hepatoxicity, immune-mediated endocrinopathies, immune-mediated dermatologic adverse reactions, and immune-mediated nephritis with renal dysfunction. Monitor for early identification and management. Evaluate liver enzymes, creatinine, and thyroid functions at baseline and periodically during treatment. Withhold or permanently discontinue based on the severity and type of reaction. Infusion-related reactions. Interrupt Slow the rate of infusion or permanently discontinue Opdivo, nivolumab, based on severity of reaction. Complications of allogeneic hematopoietic stem cell transplantation. Fatal and other serious complications can occur in patients who receive allogeneic hematopoietic stem cell transplantation before or after being treated with PD-1 or PDL one blocking antibody. Embryo-fetal toxicity. Opdivo can cause fetal harm. Advise females of reproductive potential of potential risk to a fetus and to use effective contraception. Increase mortality in patients with multiple myeloma when Opdivo is added to a thalidomide analog and dexamethasone. 
treatment of patients with multiple myeloma with a PD-1 or PD-L1 blocking antibody in combination with a thalidomide analog plus dexamethasone is not recommended outside of controlled clinical trials. Please continue listening for more important safety information about Abdivo later in this podcast. Thank you again, Dr. Gupta, for taking the time to speak with me today. Before we dive into the information on Checkmate 274 and the Abdivo approval, could you share a little bit about the standard of care for urothelial carcinoma treatment in your practice? Of course, Viviana. So uh, for patients with localized bladder cancer or muscle-invasive urothelial cancer, our standard of care for patients who are eligible to receive cisplatin-based chemotherapy is neoadjuvant gemcitabine and cisplatin or neoadjuvant dose-dense MVAC, which is methotrexate, vinblastin, doxorubicin, and cisplatin. And then uh, after uh, completion of neoadjuvant chemotherapy, patients undergo radical cystectomy. And if the patients are at high risk of recurrence, such as having a pathologic stage of YPT2 to YPT4A or YP node positive disease, then we discuss Optivo as an adjuvant treatment option based on the FDA approval, as you mentioned uh, just now. And additionally, for patients who did not receive neoadjuvant cisplatin-based chemotherapy for a variety of comorbidities or um, kidney disease and whatnot, those patients can also receive Opdivo after surgery. And this is very commonly seen in our patient population where uh, a lot of our patients cannot get cisplatin due to uh, their comorbidities like chronic kidney disease, heart failure, hearing loss, uh, or any other criteria that uh, have been established for cisplatin eligibility. And there's a lot of ongoing progress in the urothelial cancer treatment landscape, and we need additional treatment options in the muscle-invasive setting. Right now, um, having the first immunotherapy of Devo in this adjuvant space is a big progress. Thank you for that context. So understanding that the treatment landscape continues to evolve, even if we think about our currently approved options, there doesn't seem to be many options for high-risk patients with urothelial carcinoma post-surgery. So in your opinion, where does Opdivo fit in terms of the adjuvant landscape? What is Opdivo addressing in these patients in this setting if they are at a higher risk of recurrence after their surgery? Before Opdivo's approval, there were no FDA-approved options for adjuvant treatment in patients with urothelial cancer who have had prior platinum-based neoadjuvant chemotherapy. And patients with urothelial cancer really need adjuvant-approved adjuvant options that can help extend disease-free survival or DFS. There's actually a retrospective observational cohort study done in patients who are 65 years and older with urothelial cancer at high risk of recurrence after cystectomy. It had around 665 patients from the SEER database who had uh, either urothelial cancer of the bladder or upper tract and who were at high risk of recurrence. And in that study, it was found that the median disease-free survival was just over one year or 13.5 months. So I think the aim of adjuvant therapy is to help decrease the risk of recurrence. And currently, Opdivo is the first and only FDA-approved option for adult patients with urothelial cancer who are at high risk of recurrence after radical surgery, either uh, radical cystectomy or nephrourethrectomy, depending on the location of the primary tumor. 
regardless of prior neoadjuvant chemotherapy, nodal involvement, or PDL1 status. It sounds like Opdivo provides a chance to impact the future of high-risk adult patients with urothelial carcinoma. And we know the approval for Opdivo for high-risk adult patients with urothelial carcinoma in the adjuvant setting was based on the results of the Checkmate 274 study. So let's dive into that data. To start us off, how was the Checkmate 274 study designed? So uh, the Checkmate 274 study, as you know, was a phase three multi-center double-blind randomized trial evaluating adjuvant use of Optivo at a dose of 240 milligrams intravenous versus placebo in adult patients with urothelial cancer at high risk of recurrence after radical dissection. This included patients with bladder cancer as well as upper tract urothelial cancer. And this was administered every two weeks as a 30-minute infusion intravenously for up to one year or until disease recurrence or discontinuation from the trial, whatever was sooner. All eligible patients were required to have had radical surgery within 120 days prior to randomization to Opdivo or placebo with or without prior neoadjuvant cisplatin-based chemotherapy. And based on the results of this study, Opdivo is indicated for the adjuvant treatment of adult patients with urothelial cancer at high risk of recurrence after undergoing radical resection of the urothelial cancer. And there are two important things to note about the patient population and the indication of Opdivo in this setting. Firstly, the inclusion of patients at high risk of recurrence after radical resection, such as patients who are at pathologic stage of YPT2, YPT3, YPT4A, or any node positive disease with prior neoadjuvant cisplatin-based chemotherapy, Opdivo is the only adjuvant treatment which is indicated post-surgery. It is also important to note that patients in the study must have had pathologic evidence of urothelial cancer originating in the bladder, ureter, or renal pelvis. Enrollment of patients with upper tract urothelial cancer was capped at around 20% to prevent significant deviation from the natural prevalence of bladder cancer disease in comparison with upper tract disease. And the study included a broad range of patients, including high-risk population of patients uh, at a pathologic stage of PT3, PT4A, or node-positive disease without prior neoadjuvant cisplatin-based chemotherapy and who were not eligible for or refused adjuvant cisplatin-based chemotherapy. Checkmate 274 also included patients who had achieved disease-free status within four weeks prior to randomization, as well as ECOG performance status 0 to 1, or a performance status of 2 if the patient had no prior neoadjuvant cisplatin-based chemotherapy and was ineligible for adjuvant cisplatin-based chemotherapy. This trial excluded patients with any condition requiring systemic treatment with immunosuppressants such as glucocorticoids within two weeks of treatment. In the study, a total of 709 patients received uh, randomized assignments to the trial groups. Randomization was in a one-to-one ratio. Stratification was done based on the tumor PDL1 expression level, noted as less than 1% or greater than or equal to 1%, pathologic nodal status as node positive or node negative, or NX with less than 10 nodes removed versus N0 with 
10 or more nodes removed. And lastly, whether they had received new adjuvants, cisplatin-based chemo, 353 patients received Optivo and 356 patients were randomized to the placebo arm. And there were 140 patients in the Optivo group with a PDL1 expression of 1% or more in their tumors and 142 patients in the placebo group. Minimum follow-up in all the randomized patients was 5.9 months. The core primary endpoints were disease-free survival among all randomized patients in the intent-to-treat population and in the subset of patients with high PDL1 expression in their tumors, noted as 1 or greater than 1%. The key secondary endpoint was overall survival, including non-urothelial tract recurrence-free survival and disease-specific survival. However, at the time of the planned interim analysis, OS data was deemed immature Additionally, health-related quality of life was an exploratory endpoint. Thank you so much for walking us through the Checkmate 274 study design, Dr. Gupta. So you have just briefly mentioned the study endpoints. Could you delve a little more into the efficacy endpoints of the study? Absolutely. So disease-free survival, or DFS, which was the primary endpoint, was defined as the time between the date of randomization and the date of first recurrence in the local urothelial tract, local non-urothelial tract, distant metastases, or death. Non-urothelial tract recurrence-free survival was a secondary endpoint, and it was defined as the time between date of randomization and the date of first local recurrence outside the urothelial tract, distant recurrence, or death. Thank you for highlighting how the study defined a few of those endpoints. Is there anything else that you wanted to clarify regarding the patient inclusion criteria? Yes, I would like to emphasize that the patients with urothelial cancer who are at high risk of recurrence after radical resection, the key difference here is that for patients who did not receive prior neoadjuvant cisplatin-based chemotherapy, their pathologic stage at surgery was PT3 or higher. However, for patients who received prior neoadjuvant cisplatin-based chemotherapy, their pathologic stage was YPT2 or higher. So this is an important distinction to make because practitioners may not always realize that these patients are at high risk of recurrence. Yes, and I think it's also important to note that prior neoadjuvant cisplatin-based chemotherapy is not a requirement, nor is it a critical step prior to receiving Opdivo based on the study. But let's switch gears and dive deeper into the data. What were the primary results that led to the approval of Opdivo in the adjuvant setting for high-risk urothelial carcinoma? In the primary analysis, the median follow-up time in all randomized patients was 20.9 months for Opdivo and 19.5 months for placebo. Notably, in the intention-to-treat population, the minimum follow-up was 5.9 months, and the median DFS was 20.8 months in the Optivo group and 10.8 months in the placebo group, with a hazard ratio of 0.70 and a p-value of 0.0008. Nearly double median disease-free survival was achieved with Optivo versus placebo. Optivo reduced the risk of disease recurrence or death by 30% in comparison to placebo. In a, the subset of patients 
with PDL1 expression greater than or equal to 1%, the median follow-up time was 22.1 months for Optivo and 18.7 months for placebo. The minimum follow-up time was 6.3 months. Median DFS was not reached in the Optivo group, but was achieved in 8.4 months in the placebo group with a hazard ratio of 0.55 and a p-value of 0.0005. And more recently at SEO2021, we saw the results of the extended follow-up analysis in the intention to treat population, which had a minimum follow-up time of 11 months and a median follow-up time for Optivo versus placebo, which was now 24.4 and 22.5 months respectively. In this analysis, the Opdivo group reached median DFS at 22 months and placebo at 10.9 months with a hazard ratio of 0.70. Opdivo patients had double median DFS in comparison to placebo, so I find it encouraging to view this additional data. However, I want to highlight a limitation that Checkmate 274 was not powered to detect differences in the treatment effect at extended follow-up analysis. Therefore, results from this exploratory analysis should be interpreted with caution. Nearly double median DFS with Opdivo is very impressive, but we know that following radical resection, treatment burden on patients can be a major concern. Can you share the common and serious adverse events reported in the Checkmate 274 study? A total of 351 patients in the Opdivo group and 348 patients in the placebo group received at least one dose of the trial regimen. Serious adverse events occurred in 30% of patients receiving Opdivo. The most frequent serious adverse reactions occurring in greater than 2% of patients was urinary tract infection. Fatal adverse reactions occurred in 1% of patients. These included events of pneumonitis. In Checkmate 274, the most common adverse reactions occurring in greater than 20% patients were rash, fatigue, diarrhea, pruritus, musculoskeletal pain, and urinary tract infection. Median duration of Opdivo treatment was 8.8 months. Treatment-related adverse events of any grade that led to discontinuation of the trial regimen occurred in 12.8% of patients in the Opdivo group and 2% of those in the placebo group. The most frequent treatment-related adverse event leading to discontinuation of Optivo was pneumonitis at 1.7%, rash at 1.1%, colitis at 0.9%, and an increased alanine aminotransferase level at 0.9%. Treatment-related deaths due to pneumonitis occurred in two patients in the Optivo group. Both patients began glucocorticoid treatment at the onset of pneumonitis. There was one treatment-related death due to bowel perforation in the Optivo group. As noted earlier, we will review more safety information about Optivo toward the end of the podcast, so continue to stay tuned. Based on your perspective, are there any of these adverse events surprising with the use of Optivo? From my experience, I was not surprised when reviewing the safety results. And in the context of the adverse events you've just described, and understanding that there were quality of life assessments in this trial, can you share your thoughts about what these data can help inform? With any treatment, 
we want to monitor the effect on the patient's quality of life. So in this study, one of the exploratory endpoints was to evaluate the effects of Optivo on health-related quality of life after surgery, and that was assessed using the European Organization for Research and Treatment of Cancer Quality of Life Questionnaire, or the EORTCQLQC30, which we usually use for patients with urothelial cancer. Another tool used was the EuroQOL Group 5 Dimension 3-Level Questionnaire, or EQ5D3L. However, please note that the study was not powered to assess statistical significance in exploratory endpoints. How do you communicate with your patients with urothelial carcinoma about Opdivo as a treatment option in the adjuvant setting? In my practice, we follow guidance from the primary literature, and if patients can receive adjuvant cisplatin-based chemotherapy after surgery, or if they have not had it before and they are eligible candidates, we talk about their available options such as ongoing trials for targeted therapies. However, outside of those patients who can receive adjuvant cisplatin-based chemotherapy, the only viable approved option is Optivo, and we present this option to our patients. As I mentioned earlier, the dosing regimen in the Checkmate 274 was 240 milligrams of Optivo every two weeks. Approved dosing for Optivo in the adjuvant treatment of urothelial cancer is 240 milligrams every two weeks or 480 milligrams every four weeks until disease recurrence or unacceptable toxicity for up to one year. Our patients prefer the 480 milligram Optivo dose every four weeks. We also continue patients on their scans as per the guidelines and continue treatment as long as they can tolerate for up to a year. How do you coordinate care and engage with the patient's urologist? When we see the patients after surgery, and if they meet the criteria for high risk of recurrence, we initiate treatment. And for the most part, as an oncologist, I'm following the patient unless the patient has a urologic intervention that is needed. And we keep our urology colleagues updated. But if for some reason a patient has to come off Optivo because of disease progression or side effect, then we are the ones managing it and if the patient has disease recurrence, we proceed to the next line of therapy. We usually discuss patients who are deemed to be at high risk of recurrence with our urology colleagues. For high-risk adult patients, based on your experiences, what is your approach to initiating adjuvant treatment, and how have you seen this affect patient outcomes? Based on my experiences and practice, it is important that I offer adjuvant therapy to my appropriate patients post-surgery within a 120-day window. Once that window of time has expired, I would consider a surveillance. So I think this is an important point, and our urologists usually discuss the patient's condition with us pretty soon after surgery. In our practice, we ensure that the patient has not had disease recurrence already by doing staging scans and that the patient has healed well from surgery, and then we initiate treatment. However, if the patient is struggling to recover from the surgery, we initiate closer to the end of the 120-day window. Treatment initiation post-surgery is also dependent on the patient's recovery and enthusiasm, so we time it accordingly. But I would note that sticking to that time window is very important in adjuvant studies. That makes sense. So based on your experience, what are some examples of best practices when managing treatment across different specialties? Urologists are usually enthusiastic about offering adjuvant therapies post-surgery as it leads to improved outcomes from surgery. 
And during tumor board meetings, we discuss if treatment should be offered, if a patient is not meeting the classic high-risk criteria. Sometimes we have discussions with other specialties about when to communicate with medical oncologists and where to go from there. Many times patients with uh, uh, urothelial cancer have surgery, do not receive adjuvant optivo, even if they meet the criteria, which is a missed opportunity. And if we are discussing these patients at six months post-surgery, then it's certainly not an appropriate time to start optivo. And if something has shown up on a scan at that time, then it's not considered adjuvant therapy anymore. So I think the highlight is to discuss all the high-risk patients and reach out to the medical oncologist to start adjuvant treatment as soon as possible. Thanks for walking us through the data and sharing your experiences today, Dr. Gupta. To close, would you mind sharing key takeaways from the data that we discussed today for our listeners to consider? Checkmate 274 was a randomized double-blind placebo-controlled study of adjuvant Opdivo in patients who were within 120 days of radical resection of urothelial cancer of the bladder or upper urinary tract at high risk of recurrence. Nearly double median disease-free survival was achieved with Opdivo versus placebo. Furthermore, Opdivo managed to reduce the risk of disease recurrence or death by 30% in comparison to placebo. In Checkmate 274, the most common adverse reactions occurring in greater than 20% of patients were rash, fatigue, diarrhea, pruritus, musculoskeletal pain, and urinary tract infection. I would like to point out that Opdivo is the first and only FDA-approved option for patients with urothelial cancer at high risk of recurrence after radical resection regardless of prior neoadjuvant chemotherapy, nodal involvement, or pdl one status. Thank you so much, Dr. Gupta. I really appreciate you taking the time to discuss the Checkmate 274 trial and providing us with some of your insights into how you treat urothelial carcinoma in the adjuvant setting. Now I'll read through the full important safety information for Opdivo. Severe and fatal immune-mediated adverse reactions. Immune-mediated adverse reactions listed herein may not include all possible severe and fatal immune-mediated adverse reactions. Immune-mediated adverse reactions, which may be severe or fatal, can occur in any organ system or tissue. While immune-mediated adverse reactions usually manifest during treatment, they can also occur after discontinuation of Opdivo. Early identification and management are essential to ensure safe use of Opdivo. Monitor for signs and symptoms that may be clinical manifestations of underlying immune-mediated adverse reactions. Evaluate clinical chemistries including liver enzymes, creatinine, and thyroid function at baseline and periodically during treatment with Opdivo. In cases of suspected immune-mediated adverse reactions, Initiate appropriate workup to exclude alternative etiologies, including infection. Institute medical management promptly, including specialty consultation as appropriate. Withhold or permanently discontinue Opdivo depending on severity. Please see Section 2, Dosage and Administration, and the full prescribing information. In general, if Opdivo interruption or discontinuation is required, Administer systemic corticosteroid therapy 
one to two milligrams per kilogram per day of prednisone or equivalent until improvement to grade one or less. Upon improvement to grade one or less, initiate corticosteroid taper and continue to taper over at least one month. Consider administration of other systemic immunosuppressants in patients whose immune-mediated adverse reactions are not controlled with corticosteroid therapy. Toxicity management guidelines for adverse reactions that do not necessarily require systemic steroids, for example, endocrinopathies and dermatologic reactions, are discussed in the next section. Immune-mediated pneumonitis. Opdivo can cause immune-mediated pneumonitis. The incidence of pneumonitis is higher in patients who have received prior thoracic radiation. In patients receiving Opdivo monotherapy, immune-mediated pneumonitis occurred in 3.1%, or 61 out of 1,994 patients, including grade 4 in less than 0.1% of patients, grade 3 in 0.9% of patients, and grade 2 in 2.1% of patients. Immune-mediated colitis. Opdivo can cause immune-mediated colitis. A common symptom included in the definition of colitis was diarrhea. Cytomegalovirus infection and reactivation has been reported in patients with corticosteroid refractory immune-mediated colitis. In cases of corticosteroid refractory colitis, consider repeating infectious workup to exclude alternative etiologies. In patients receiving Opdivo monotherapy, immune-mediated colitis occurred in 2.9% of patients, or 58 out of 1,994 patients, including grade 3 in 1.7% of patients and grade 2 in 1% of patients. Immune-mediated hepatitis and hepatoxicity. Opdivo can cause immune-mediated hepatitis. In patients receiving Opdivo monotherapy, immune-mediated hepatitis occurred in 1.8% of patients, or 35 out of 1,994 patients, including grade 4 in 0.2% of patients, grade 3 in 1.3% of patients, and grade 2 in 0.4% of patients. Immune-mediated hypophysitis, immune-mediated thyroid disorders, and type 1 diabetes mellitus, which can present with diabetic ketoacidosis. Withhold Opdivo depending on severity. Please see Section 2, Dosage and Administration in the full prescribing information. For grade 2 or higher adrenal insufficiency, initiate symptomatic treatment, including hormone replacement as clinically indicated. Hypophysitis can present with acute symptoms associated with mass effects such as headache, photophobia, or visual field defects. Hypophysitis can cause hypopituitarism. Initiate hormone replacement as clinically indicated. Thyroiditis can present with or without endocrinopathy. Hypothyroidism can follow hyperthyroidism. Initiate hormone replacement or medical management as clinically indicated. Monitor patients for hyperglycemia or other signs and symptoms of diabetes. Initiate treatment with insulin as clinically indicated. In patients receiving Opdivo monotherapy, adrenal insufficiency occurred in 1% or 20 out of 1,994 patients, including grade 3 in 0.4% of patients and grade 2 in 0.6% of patients. 
In patients receiving Optivo monotherapy, hypophysitis occurred in 0.6% of patients, or 12 out of 1,994 patients, including grade 3 in 0.2% of patients and grade 2 in 0.3% of patients. In patients receiving Optivo monotherapy, thyroiditis occurred in 0.6% of patients, or 12 out of 1,994 patients, including grade 2, in 0.2% of patients. In patients receiving Optivo monotherapy, hyperthyroidism occurred in 2.7% of patients, or 54 out of 1,994 patients, including grade 3, in less than 0.1% of patients, and grade 2, in 1.2% of patients. In patients receiving Optivo monotherapy, hypothyroidism occurred in 8% of patients, or 163 out of 1,994 patients, including grade 3 in 0.2% of patients and grade 2 in 4.8% of patients. In patients receiving Optivo monotherapy, diabetes occurred in 0.9% of patients, or 17 out of 1,994 patients, including grade 3 in 0.4% of patients and grade 2 in 0.3% of patients, and two cases of diabetic ketoacidosis. Immune-mediated nephritis and renal dysfunction. Optivo can cause immune-mediated nephritis. In patients receiving Optivo monotherapy, immune-mediated nephritis and renal dysfunction occurred in 1.2% of patients, or 23 out of 1,994 patients, including grade 4 in less than 0.1% of patients, grade 3 in 0.5% of patients, and grade 2 in 0.6% of patients. Immune-mediated dermatologic adverse reactions. Optivo can cause immune-mediated rash or dermatitis. Exfoliative dermatitis, including Steven Johnson syndrome, toxic epidermal necrolysis, and drug rash with eosinophilia and systemic symptoms, also known as DRESS, has occurred with PD-1 and PD-L1 blocking antibodies. Topical emollients and or topical corticosteroids may be adequate to treat mild to moderate non-exfoliative rashes. Withhold or permanently discontinue Optivo depending on severity. Please see Section 2, Dosage and Administration in the full prescribing information. In patients receiving Optivo monotherapy, immune-mediated rash occurred in 9% of patients or 171 out of 1,994 patients, including grade 3 in 1.1% of patients and grade 2 in 2.2% of patients. Other immune-mediated adverse reactions. The following clinically significant immune-mediated adverse reactions occurred at an incidence of less than 1%, unless otherwise noted, in patients who receive Optivo monotherapy or were reported with the use of other PD-1 or PD-L1 blocking antibodies. Severe or fatal cases have been reported for some of these adverse reactions, cardiac and vascular myocarditis, pericarditis, vasculitis, within the nervous system, meningitis, encephalitis, myelitis, and demyelination, myasthenia, 
syndrome, myasthenia gravis, including exacerbation, Guillain-Barre syndrome, neuroparesis, autoimmune neuropathy, ocular, including uveitis, iritis, and other ocular inflammatory toxicities can occur. Gastrointestinal, pancreatitis, to include increases in serum amylase and lipase levels, gastritis, duodenitis, in the mus musculoskeletal and connective tissue, myositis and polymyositis, rhabdomyolysis, and associated sequelae, including renal failure, arthritis, polymyalgia rheumatica, endocrine, including hypoparathyroidism, and other hematologic and immune, which include hemolytic anemia, aplastic anemia, hemophagocytotic lymphohistocytosis, systemic inflammatory response syndrome, histiocystic necrotizing lymphadenitis, or Kikuchi lymphadenitis, sarcoidosis, immune thrombocytopenic purpura, and solid organ transplant rejection. Some ocular immune-mediated adverse reaction cases can be associated with renal detachment. Various grades of visual impairment, including blindness, can occur. If uveitis occurs in combination with other immune-mediated adverse reactions, consider, consider a volt kojigunagi harada like syndrome, which has been observed in patients receiving Opdivo, as this may require treatment with systemic corticosteroids to reduce the risk of permanent vision loss. Infuse Infusion-related reactions. Opdivo can cause severe infusion-related reactions. Discontinue Opdivo in patients with severe grade three or life-threatening grade four infusion-related reactions. Interrupt or slow the rate of infusion in patients with mild, such as grade one, or moderate, like grade two, infusion-related reactions. In patients receiving Opdivo monotherapy as a 60-minute infusion, infusion-related reactions occurred in 6.4% of patients, or 127 out of 1,994 patients. In a separate trial in which patients received Opdivo monotherapy as a 60-minute infusion or a 30-minute infusion, infusion-related reactions occurred in 2.2% of patients, or 8 out of 368 patients and 2.7% of patients, or 10 out of 369 patients, respectively. Additionally, 0.5%, or 2 out of 368 patients, and 1.4%, or 5 out of 369 patients, respectively. Experience adverse reactions with 48 hours of infusion that led to dose delay permanent discontinuation, or withholding of Opdivo. Complications of allogeneic hematopoietic stem cell transplantation. Fatal and other serious complications can occur in patients who receive allogeneic hematopoietic stem cell transplantation before or after being treated with Opdivo. 
Transplant-related complications include hyperacute graft-versus-host disease, acute graft-versus-host disease, chronic graft-versus-host disease, hepatic venoocclusive disease after reduced intensity conditioning, and steroid-requiring febrile syndrome without an identified infectious cause. These complications may occur despite intervening therapy between Opdivo and allogeneic hematopoietic stem cell transplantation. Follow patients closely for evidence of transplant-related complications and intervene promptly. Consider the benefit versus risk of treatment with Opdivo prior to or after an allogeneic hematopoietic stem cell transplantation. Embryo-fetal toxicity. Based on its mechanism of action and findings from the animal studies, Opdivo can cause fetal harm when administered to a pregnant woman. Advise pregnant women of the potential risk to a fetus. Advise females of reproductive potential to use effective contraception during the treatment with Opdivo and for at least five months after the last dose. Increase mortality in patients with multiple myeloma when Opdivo is added to a thalidomide analog and desclamesis. Increase mortality in patients with multiple myeloma when Opdivo is added to a thalidomide analog and dexamethasone. In randomized clinical trials in patients with multiple myeloma, the addition of Opdivo to a thalidomide analog plus dexamethasone resulted in increased mortality. Treatment of patients with multiple myeloma with a PD-1 or PD-L1 blocking antibody in combination with a thalidomide analog plus dexamethasone is not recommended outside of controlled clinical trials. Lactation. There are no data on the presence of Opdivo in human milk. The effects of breast milk. There are no data on the presence of Opdivo in human milk, the effects on the breastfed child, or the effects on milk production. Because of the potential for serious adverse reactions in breastfed children, advise women not to breastfeed during treatment and for five months after the last dose. Serious adverse reactions. In Checkmate 274, serious adverse reactions occurred in 30% of patients receiving Opdivo, a total of 351 patients. The most frequent serious adverse reactions reported in 2% or greater of patients receiving Opdivo was urinary tract infection. Fatal adverse reactions occurred in 1% of patients. These included events of pneumonitis. 0.6%. Common adverse reactions. In Checkmate 274, the most common adverse reactions, either greater or equal to 20%, reported in patients receiving Opdivo, which was a total of 351 patients, were rash at 36%, fatigue, also at 36%, diarrhea at 30%, pruritus, 30%, musculoskeletal pain at 28%, and urinary tract infection, 22%. Please see the U.S. full prescribing information for Opdivo at opdivohcp.com and click on the U.S. full prescribing information link for Opdivo at the top of the page. Thank you again for your insights today, Dr. Gupta, and thank you, listener, for joining us. 
Thank you so much for having me here today. I'm happy to talk about this unique treatment option that is FDA approved for my high-risk adult patients with urothelial cancer after resection in the adjuvant setting. This concludes our discussion of recent clinical efficacy and safety findings for Opdivo in the adjuvant treatment of urothelial carcinoma. References for the data described in this podcast may be found on the listening platform.